Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. We are talking today about management versus leadership and how coaching skills make a difference. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership globally and work with leaders to create a thriving future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. Today's guest is Jonathan Wrights. I am delighted that he is joining us. He is a member of the World Business and Executive Coaching Summit, or presenter on the summit, and he'll tell you more about that. So today we're going to be talking about how coaching skills are not just for life coaches or executive coaches. They are part of every leader's secret weapon. Managers can become the leaders they need to be when they understand how to use coaching skills to put the development of their teams as a top priority and multiply their impact. If you want to move from managing your team to leading your teams, coaching skills are the key. Jonathan joins the show today to share how managers can move toward leading by learning some simple coaching behaviors. So Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks, Maureen. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I, I'm excited about this. This is really the culmination of a, 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 a the vast majority of my career, because in my, in my days in the corporate world, I was a team leader that actually, if I'm honest with you, I was a team manager because I didn't understand some of those key distinctions. But then I crossed paths with a guy named Steve Martin, not that Steve Martin, but but a guy named Steve Martin who by doing some really simple things, transformed this group of individuals working on the same task into an actual team. And that got me started down the executive coaching road. Then after that, about 25 years, I work for an organization that delivers coaching services and does some training of executive coaches. It's a company called CoachNet Flexify. And uh, I've been excited to be a part of the World Business and Executive Coaches Summit for the last several years. They, they call that WBEX in the wider coaching world. And to bring this conversation about management versus leadership and the role that coaching plays in it into the core of the conversation. So excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. So let's jump right in. Since I've been working, I think we've been talking about the distinction between management and leadership. And that distinction... I think varies across schools of thinking and decades too. So can you give our listeners kind of level set for how you talk about the difference between management and leadership? I want to throw three things into the conversation along these lines that, that really separate managers from leaders. First of all, a leader carries a vision. There's some picture in a leader's mind about what the organization, what the context, what the team, what the results they generate will be like if the team is led successfully. I'm not convinced that managers provide vision. I still think vision drives a manager, but it doesn't necessarily originate with a manager in the same way that it does with a leader. So that's a critical distinction between manager and leader. Where is that vision? Okay, so that's that's point number one. Secondly, I think managers uh -huh. put people into positions where they can succeed. 
Leaders, however, develop you so that you succeed in multiple positions. So there's a talent development component. I actually think that's a critical term for a leader, talent development, because someone that sees a vision for the team, for the organization, also takes some responsibility for molding the people that are a part of the engine that makes the organization successful. And a leader will truly invest in, draw out of, develop, shape the people that they're entrusted with to make the maximum impact in a particular organization or a particular situation. And then thirdly, the last one, in some ways, this is the most important distinction, is managers and leaders have a different relationship to results. A manager delivers the exact results that they're asked for. A leader has a voice in shaping the results that a team delivers as well. You may say, you know what? Yes, people up the org chart are asking me for these particular results, but a leader will say, why is that enough? And what else, what other implications, what other pieces of a meaningful success can I and my team deliver on an ongoing basis? There's an organic component of, it's almost, Maureen, exceeding expectations that I think separates a leader from a manager. Where a manager is accountable for results, a leader shapes those results and then says, you know what? Not only am I going to shape these, I'm going to make sure that we deliver them day in, day out. It can make a tremendous difference in the health, the vitality, and the engagement of the team inside the overall health of the organization. So this brings to mind a bunch of questions. The first being... Many people have the title of manager or the title of leadership, and that binary distinction doesn't really summarize that at varying levels in the organization, I am both sometimes manager, sometimes leader. Mm -hmm. And at the lower level, I am more manager than leader. At the senior level, let us hope that I am more leader than manager. So can you talk about if I am just starting my career, even supervisor, Can I still demonstrate leadership qualities knowing that that's not yet my title? Well, let's let's take those three distinctions. First of all, what's the vision that the thing you are managing, supervising, is pursuing? And then what's your role in developing or shaping that vision? I think there's a lot of opportunities to, with some humility and with some generosity, for a brand new manager to say to the people up the org chart, hey, I would like to help shape where this team, where this project group is going. Now, the first time you ask that, is it going to be well-received? Well, maybe, maybe not. That's one of those criteria, one of those components that varies pretty greatly from organization to organization. But there's no downside in asking for the opportunity to contribute, you know, and and especially if you think about it like that, that's why I said with humility and with generosity is you're offering to make a contribution if there's some openness for it. And, And I think that's one of the hard pieces, the hardest challenges for a young manager to realize is that there's not always openness for your initial contributions. You may have to demonstrate your ability to hit marks your ability to deliver on what you commit to 
over time. So that's the first thing I would say is the vision for your work group or for your team, what role are you playing in shaping that? Secondly, there's a difference between holding people accountable and developing talent. And I think that's a tremendous challenge for a young manager. I know I think about when I was in my 20s, the managers I had, with one exception, were mostly about helping me ensure that what I committed to got done, which was fine. It's a great management posture. It's a great strategy. But leaders say they, they go a whole nother level. They start asking you, so, so what's the vision for your life? What kind of abilities are you bringing to this particular opportunity? They, they, they lead with questions and invite your input into the shape, the scope, the direction of not only your work in this situation, but your larger career moving forward. And I would suggest in your first supervisory role where you've got two people coming to you to help you accomplish, you can take that posture. That's a mindset shift that is not difficult to embrace. You can say, you know what? Hey, tell me about what you're dreaming about. Tell me about how you'd like to see your career go. I I bet, Maureen, you can think of someone early in your career that asked you those kinds of questions. And as you wrestled with that, what you wanted to do got clear. I bet you've got somebody that's coming to mind as I'm describing that. I had a boss named Dorn. It was my first consulting role. And she was brilliant at helping me see what was possible, where, first of all, I didn't know what consulting was very much. And I didn't know how I could fit and progress professionally. And we spent a lot of time over cocktails, just discussing. Mm. Now, we were traveling full time. So this was, you know, you're in a different city and you go out to dinner and drinks with your colleagues. That was a brilliant time in my life because I had someone mentoring me almost every day. Now, she also told me what to do. There were times that that she was very directive. And I think that's one of the important distinctions is not to underestimate the value of we had contractually obligated deliverables and those had to get done. And Mm -hmm. then we could focus on my vision, but we didn't focus on anything until she was clear that I could deliver on our commitments and then layered onto that relationship became development and coaching. I love that distinction. And that actually opens up a paradigm that I think a lot of managers who want to be leaders sometimes miss. There's two kinds of things that end up on a team member's to-do list. The first is things that the employee initiates and they come to the the manager or the leader and they say, hey, I, I see this opportunity and here's how I think this would contribute to the overall effectiveness of our team. What do you think? Just the fact that the manager is conducting the team's business in such a way that a team member can come and have that conversation is a pretty good indication that this is a leader you're dealing with and not a manager. So first of all, you know, what, what kind of task is it? Is it the kind that the employee initiates or is it the kind that the manager says, hey, look, you got to do this and you got to do this by this date that gets assigned to you? Both are important. No organization, you know, we love the startup world in, in today's America. 
there's a glamour to the startup world because it, it seems like this is a bunch of swashbuckling entrepreneurs that are breaking all the rules and reinventing everything. Well, no, that's not the case. It's 5% of that and 95% of we all got to be pulling in the right direction and doing the right things. So that's the first thing is we split these, these tasks into are these assigned tasks or are these employee initiative tasks? Second thing is leaders also understand, even at a deeper level than managers do, that sometimes no matter where the task comes from, there's a way that it's got to be done inside of your particular organization. There's, there, you have compliance issues. You have details about industry expectations, all of those kinds of things. Sometimes there are ways that even if an employee comes to me and says, I want to do this, I think this would be good for my team. There will be times when I have to say to them, you know what, great, you should do that. Let's just make sure we comply with our industry standards and our best practices and all of our in-house culture and all of those kinds of things. But then there are those other times where the task might be such that there isn't a plan, there isn't a precedent, or there isn't a, uh, a requirement, an expectation that it be done a certain way. And I would suggest that leaders really understand those moments when you can set a team member free to do things to the best of their abilities, no matter what that looks like. When you get those combinations of the employee coming to you and saying, hey, I want to do this, and the manager responding with, great, we don't have a mold for that. Let's see how you can be innovative. That's a powerful combination when it's used appropriately. So when we look at the trends we're dealing with right now, mm-hmm. given the volume of disruption we're facing, we will see more of that. Going to the old best practices will no longer be sufficient as we're looking at things like how do we keep employees engaged with a hybrid or work from home model? We just didn't mm. have much of that. There weren't a lot of best practices. We're creating it. So my individual contributor, my business manager, my team is now helping craft solutions to problems that didn't exist when I was back in those early consulting days of we had to create things. We were, It was an accounting firm. We We generated reports in these big folders and there was a certain, to your point, exactly the shape of the folder and the the way the tabs looked and that wasn't negotiable. And yet we created the work standards because they didn't exist at that time. They ended up moving into our contract based on the work we had done. So we were balancing very rigorous accounting world constructs and creating new standards for processes that hadn't been done by us or our client. And we really co-created those things. And to your point, at least in my work with developmental maturity, there are people who are more comfortable being delegated a task with this is how you do it. And this is what success looks like. And then there are people who are more comfortable with, let me go figure it out, boss, because that's fun for me. And Mm -hmm. people can move along that spectrum, but people tend to to have a comfort zone with one or the other. I love that because that's a great illustration of the management leadership dichotomy. You know, you're right. If, If you are leading a team 
let, let, let's say I've got a department, I've got 12 people. I darn well better know who are the people in that group of 12 that would prefer I just tell them, hey, please do this and here's your deadline. I also need to know who are the people in that group that would rather invent what it is they're doing. You know, the old metaphor is build the plane while you fly it. You know, there are some people who really thrive in that situation. And it is to a, well, that's kind of on the boundary. You know, understanding that about your team, that's kind of on the boundary between management and leadership because you can make the argument that that's just good management, knowing your team. However, I would argue that you can also make the argument that it's good leadership because you see how the people that are following you fit into the path to the vision. You know, so it's a little bit different approach, but, but, but equally as powerful. Well, and I would say at the earlier stages of management, I know strengths and weaknesses. As mm-hmm. I move into the leadership ranks, I understand a lot more nuance about what excites people, what helps them move toward their vision, and really more nuanced how they, what goes on inside their heads. So I can motivate people in a way that just the very concrete introvert, extrovert, Myers-Briggs categories, they're useful, but they are not sufficient to get to the higher nuance. I'm going to push on that because I don't think they're useful. Okay. I'm going to go so far as to say those personality type tools that are fixed. Mm -hmm. I struggle with the, the efficacy of including those, even in a management conversation, just strictly because they're fixed. I would challenge managers who are serious about becoming leaders to think about things through a behavioral lens because behavior changes. And most importantly, behavior is almost always a reflection of thought process. And if we're serious about talent development, one of our roles as leader is to challenge our people to think differently. And changing behavior is the fast track to thinking about your opportunity differently. Now, I just gave away my my best executive coaching secret, the link between changing your behavior and thinking about your leadership opportunity differently. Because it's strong, it's it's often direct, and it's, it's measurable, it's observable, and it usually is rooted in different business outcomes, which is the point of all this anyway, right? So let me then illustrate why I say what I do, and I agree with you. So I take type and developmental maturity. Type is horizontal, so I know that I'm introverted. Most people who meet me wouldn't believe I'm introverted, because if I look at the vertical scale, as we go up the vertical levels, I take on significantly more capacity to circle back and learn the skills for things that aren't innately comfortable, but I I don't have a choice. To do what I want to do, I have to have certain behaviors. And we also look at time horizon extends, complexity of thinking extends, emotional intelligence extends. So I build on, on those innate traits and preferences, but I am not limited by them. They just Love happen that. to be, I'm five foot three. That That is what I got. I am introverted. That is what I got. And in no way should that limit me except for playing basketball. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Lo- love love that. As a guy who's six foot six and played basketball in college, you know, I, I have a different set of physical capabilities, qualities, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever term you want to prefer. Those are fixed. You know, I, I, I'm not growing anymore. You know, in fact, I haven't grown since the summer I was 14 years old. That's been well, except out. That's been a fixed capability to bring into that process. Now, one of the challenges I think managers who want to be leaders find themselves dealing with is we get caught up in understanding those things about our team. And it can be helpful, but well, let me just shift that, turn that on its ear just ever so slightly. A coaching mindset would say, my goal is not that I would learn that about you or the people on my team, but that I would function in such a way that my team learns that about themselves. That's a paradigm shift that's notable because the goal is I understand what I bring to the table and I'm able to apply it and adapt it and things along those lines. And if I'm leading a team, I want every single person on that team to have high self-awareness and, you know, what what Albert Bundero would call high levels of self-efficacy, which is an accurate picture of your capability and your ability to apply what you bring into any situation. Accurate picture and application. So as a leader, that's what I would suggest you're looking to develop in the people that you lead. I absolutely agree. I want to understand my people and I want to help them. And this becomes then the coaching part. I want to help them build their self-awareness and self-efficacy. And you're also pointing to organizations that actually value that. From a coaching perspective, I can say I've worked in organizations that value self-awareness and self-efficacy. And I've worked in organizations that still want people to take direction and do what they're told. Mm-hmm. And both work. Let's, let's be honest. The key is as an organization to be able to say, this is what we value. This is how our culture works. And then line up your behavior so that your culture actually delivers on business outcomes that are meaningful to the organization. That's a coaching culture. Mm-hmm. And I would add to that, again, back to our trends, with the rate of change, that do what I tell you to do becomes less effective. And it gets back to your three characteristics of a leader, Mm. that as a person on the team delivering results, I want my team to be empowered to say, this is what you told or asked me to do. I think there's a better way, or I think there's something you missed I want my team to lead me as much as I lead them. Mm-hmm. I hire people who are really competent and quite capable as leaders, no matter what their title is, in- including all the way down to the finance clerk. I want them to, to be smarter about it than I am and guide me when I make a request that doesn't make sense. The higher you get up the org chart, the less important domain-specific expertise is the more important that talent development and vision development skill set becomes. So absolutely critical. Being able to lead with asking questions also becomes a higher priority as you move up the, up the org chart, up to the higher levels. And it's interesting. And again, this is one of the nuances that at some levels, employees expect the manager, the boss, whatever you call them, to have the information and give direction And others want a boss who can say, go figure it out, you're smart. But for some folks, a boss who says, go figure it out, looks like they don't really know what they're doing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I, I would affirm that. I, I think there's a notable transition. Virtually every organization starts off with the boss saying, hey, do it like this. But there comes a time if the organization is going to continue to grow and get healthier, the boss has to be able to say, how can I help you figure it out? Jonathan, what are some key mindset shifts that managers can make to use coaching skills to become a better leader? I love the fact that co-creating is a part of the name of this show. That's the critical mindset shift. It's not the manager, the director providing, hey, here's here's the culture, here's the foundation we're going to work from. It's together saying, if we're heading toward this vision, how are we going to get there? And the most important word in that sentence is we. How are we going to get to that place? And then there's been lots of talk over the years, the idea of servant leadership, the idea of, you know, Robert Greenleaf and and that whole conversation about the manager, the leader working to support, encourage, develop, launch the, uh, the people on the team. I think there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of value in that process, but- It's very easy to overplay that hand. And the coaching mentality, I would suggest, changes that. Because a leader with a coaching mentality really, really breaks their time into three specific areas. Number one, it's self-management and how am I getting my own work done? How am I ensuring that the things that I give my word to, that I commit to, are actually the things that get priority and get accomplished? Number two is how am I casting a vision for where this team is going and moving forward? And then number three, how am I developing the people on the team so that my role is to cast vision and line people up? to move forward on the team in, in, in a useful and meaningful way. And the team leader is not actually on the ground doing the day-to-day execution that drives the team from where they are today to where the vision is pointing them to be. It really is a question of developing, empowering, and then correcting as needed as the team members become more and more skilled, more and more able to deliver at a higher capacity and to make more good things happen through the course of, uh, of the way the team functions. So that's a mindset shift. You know, the, the Michael Gerber would call it working on the business, not working in the business. That's a mindset shift that has to happen. You have to say, my job as leader is to empower my team so that they are efficient, effective, and able to deliver the results that will move us toward the vision. I supply the vision, begin to supply the vision at least. It's probably shaped by the team. But, but then I'm about helping them execute, not me being on the ground executing on a day-in, day-out basis as the primary component of the success of the team or the organization. So you hit the one point that I think is so critical and often lost in servant leadership. I don't work for my people. I work for the mission and the vision. Yes. Yes. That's really exceptionally well said. Thank you. Yeah. And I do see it get twisted by employees and by leaders and getting out of balance. And then the leaders getting twisted up 
in, I want to be a good servant leader. And if not balancing with vision as the priority and delivering results the company's paying us to deliver, Mm -hmm. then we end up calling ourselves alumni of the organization. Mm, yeah, that's that's a, that's a very delicate way of describing the situation. There are a couple of stops on my resume. I will lovingly refer to as those are the situations where they invited me to no longer participate. And it was because I took my eyes off the results that the vision was designed to accomplish for the organization. So I can't emphasize that enough. Leaders serve their people, but they work for the mission and or vision. That's a, that's a great distinction. Thank you for starting that conversation because it's a delicate one for people who are militantly committed to servant leadership and not that I'm opposed to it. I'm just very clear that we need to have the same definition and that distinction that I serve my people in service of mm-hmm. accomplishing mm-hmm. the mission. And it might be What change do you want to make in the world? I love the whole benefits corporation movement, B Corp movement in in the wider business world today, because yes, those companies are about meaningful business outcomes, but they're simultaneously about making the world a better place. And that's a really powerful combination. Now, let's say you're a leader in in, in a B Corp. You can't serve your people exclusively or else the other two outcomes that define what this thing actually is aren't going to happen. So you really do have to dance that dance where the change you want to see in the world, the, the entrepreneurial mindset would say, what problem are we here to solve? My company exists to equip managers with coaching skills so that leadership is more within reach. And we measure that. We literally measure that by how many managers did we get to help equip over the last 12 months? We have a rolling 12-month number that we think about. And we want that trend to be going up, not staying flat, not going down, because that's the mission. Now, Mm -hmm. as I'm developing the rest of the training team in our organization, I'm taking feedback from our students, and then we're listening to to actual examples of what's happening here and saying, okay, let's evaluate this. Did this actually serve the mission that we're about? Most of the time, I'm excited to tell you that I have a great team. I'm very, very fortunate. They make me look way better than I actually am. Most of the time, we get to say, you know what? Yeah, that worked. That, That person is better equipped than they were before they started working with us. Every once in a while, we have to say, you know what, that's an opportunity we missed. And, you know, sometimes it's the language we use didn't communicate what we were actually after. Sometimes it was we misread how bought in they were to the behavioral change they would have to make. It could be any number of different things. The challenge is exactly what we've been, we've been camping on for the last couple of minutes is how focused are we on the mission? How focused are we on, on, on the problem we want to solve? And does what we're doing actually solve that problem? And that goes back to your first premise of leader versus manager. As a leader, I set and focus on the vision. Yeah. Or I, yeah. I may focus on the vision that is given to me by the organization, but it is vision as a primary focus. And that guides everything I do. 
even if the organization provides it for you, you still, the leader still has to own it. Yeah. You know, there's gotta be something personal about that. Now I I'm the CEO of my organization. So ultimately it starts with me. Now there have been a couple of times recently where someone on my team has said, Hey, I see the vision, but I have questions. Great. That's a wonderful leadership opportunity because a two heads are always better than one. B, you may discover something about your team that that you can then serve to help them develop. And then C, there may be an opportunity that perhaps you didn't see. Just because my name's at the top of the org chart doesn't mean I see everything. Oh, I can tell you. (laughs) Because I'm focused on my thing. I can't focus on everyone else's thing, nor should I. I have to be surrounded by people who are brilliant at their things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm just going to talk to people who are listening to this right now. You are messing up. If you're not at least willing to listen to what your team says, you are missing an opportunity to make your business better. That statement gets to, at least when I was raised, so I'm older than probably many of our listeners, I grew up thinking the boss is supposed to know, have the answers, and tell people what to do. One of the big unlearnings as we talk about innovating how you lead, as leaders, we need to create the space that Jonathan's talked about where my team tells me what's the best way to do certain things. There Mm -hmm. are certain things I own, and I'm going to set the direction, and I'm going to be pretty clear about that. I'm open to input, but less. There are other things I'm 100% open to input on. I love that sliding scale that you just described. And, you know, especially when we started thinking about generational theory, we're in the most complex workforce in the world's history right now. And it's going to get more complex. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And, you know, one of the trends that, that in your end of the year podcast at the end of 2020, you talked about is the accelerating pace of results. Complex workforce being demanded to deliver results at a faster and faster pace, you can't do this alone. You must coach outcomes, coach development, coach results, coach improvement out of your team because it's no longer humanly possible to do it by ourselves. We don't live in that world anymore. I think that is a brilliant point that it is no longer possible on so many levels Mm. One being, I can't know enough to have all the answers anymore. I must collaborate. It just is not humanly possible. Now, I hate admitting that. You know, I'm a learner. I, I like reading. You know, the internet's been wonderful for me because I'm interested in a lot of different things. And I, it's always at my fingertips. Heck, it's always at my phone. And my phone is usually in my hand. So there's an opportunity to fool ourselves in the thinking we can do it all ourselves. And if we can't do it, we can learn it like in a weekend. It's not real. It is a much better leadership strategy. And that's that second point, that idea of talent development is to say that if we're really serious about delivering the outcomes that our organizations demand of us as leaders, we have to learn how to develop the talent in the people around us. I love how you circled back. Let's go then to practical skills that multiply the team's impact which gets to your third point that team leaders aren't doing the day-to-day execution 
or they're doing less of it. Mm-hmm. We all still have some, well, many of us still have some execution roles, but I do much less than I used to. Okay. So what can I do to okay. multiply my team? First and foremost is, is a question we've already touched on in a glancing way, and that is how significant is the compliance responsibility in this particular task? Does my organization have a, a way that we do these kinds of things or not? And those best practices, predictable process outcomes are going to be becoming, be becoming fewer and farther between. You know, technology is accelerating that change. We're, we're definitely seeing a different level of the ability to innovate on a day-to-day execution basis. So as a leader, how clear are we about the things that need to be done a certain way and the things that have some leeway about them? We have some opportunities to really do some things differently if we'll let the people around us do that. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is sort of two sides of the same coin, and I'll give you a very practical framework to use to illustrate this. Number one is leaders in today's day and age ask more questions than they make statements. Now, the other side of that is if we're serious about applying a coaching mindset to what we're doing as we lead our organizations, We really can't coach the things that our people won't say. Let that sink in for a second. I just want want to let, let the listener camp with that for a second here. If I am serious about coaching my team, I don't get to say, hey, Maureen, here's what you need to do. And here's how you need to do it. And then walk away from the conversation going, man, I coached the heck out of that situation. No, you didn't. You directed But if you're really serious about saying, look, I want to use coaching, ask the question and focus on what it is that the team member puts on the table in front of you so that you are really, truly developing their abilities and empowering what it is they bring to the table. Now, that's a mindset shift that is pretty challenging for a lot of managers. So I want to suggest a sentence stem that helps And coming out of consulting where in some cases I was expected to be the expert. So you pay me a lot of money to come talk to you. And then I ask you questions. And what my clients would occasionally say is, look, we pay you. Why are you asking us? (laughs) So I, I learned to say, I have a point of view, but I would like to hear your input first so that I'm not skewing your perspective with my viewpoint. Love that. Love that. That's a heck of a coaching technique to draw out of the client first. Now, the other side of that coin, and I say this to executive coaches that we train and leaders in organizations that we work with, is there's a three-step lens to use to evaluate any input you offer as a coach or a consultant. When you're in, as a leader, when you're in that place where you're saying, look, it doesn't matter to me how you deliver on this thing we're talking about. You can do anything you think is appropriate to deliver on the results. This three-step lens is really powerful. Number one, the client, the person being coached, whether it's a team member, whether it's an executive coaching client, whether it's a consulting client, the client gets to decide whether it was helpful. 
So I might throw something out to you, Maureen, and you go, yeah, that's really not helpful. Okay. I don't get to say, well, think about it like this. That doesn't support a coaching culture, a coaching mindset. So the client gets to decide if it's helpful. Number two, the client gets to decide what it means. Because no matter how plugged in you are to an organization, as a leader, as a coach, as a consultant, if you're working co-creatively, no matter how plugged in you are to that other person's view, they still know it better than you do. So they have to decide, oh, you know what, I'm going to take this input that Maureen just gave me. And you know what, that'll fit into my view of this situation here, here, and here. Great. You as the leader have to function in such a way that you empower, you almost insist that the person you're working with does the work to figure out where it fits. What it and means. that's the self-efficacy part. Yeah. I need to take it in. Otherwise, it's just another form of a checklist that someone's given me. Yeah, my boss is telling me what to do. Man, uh, I, I don't know why that guy's always riding me all the time. There's a very short distance from a lack of self-awareness and self-efficacy to, man, my boss is a jerk. It just is. But if you put that posture in place where you say, you know what, you got to tell me if it's helpful. And I won't be mad if you say, yeah, that's not helpful. And in light of that, my next responsibility to you is to say, let me help you figure out what this means, where this is going and whether or not this is helpful. And then thirdly, and this is the hardest one, this is the hardest one. The third one always is the hardest one, at least uh, in, in the pattern of stuff that we're talking about today. The client, the person being coached has to decide what to do with that input. So if I say to my colleague, you know, Amy, or Amy is on my team. If I say to Amy, hey, here's something I think you should do. And she says, oh, yeah, that is helpful. That's a good idea. And I think that would matter here, here, and here. Great. I have to say, what are you going to do with that? Now, it's, it's a really small, it's a really small shift, but it's powerful for leaders compared to managers. So then here's the question. If I disguise the question with an edict, so here, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? What if they don't come to the conclusion you're looking for? Well, do you then give the freedom? Do you ask another question? Because this is real world. I want people to come to the conclusion, but sometimes they don't. I would urge a manager to be self-effacing at that point and say something along the lines of, got to be honest, that's not the response I was hoping for. One of my phrases is, it sounded brilliant in my head. It certainly, from your reaction, didn't come out that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's something like that. Another highly appropriate strategy is to say something along the lines of, okay, help me understand your thinking behind why that's the, the road you want to go forward. Because you are still the boss. Ultimately, the responsibility for outcomes is up to you. So naming that tension, I think, is critical. Yeah, I was just trying to get to the sticky bit of disguising, telling people what to do with questions. And when it doesn't work, telling people what to do. Yeah, well, the old saying, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's a pretty good leadership maxim for this kind of situation. Trust, you know, rope with which to experiment, leeway is earned. And the more you have an opportunity to extend a little bit more rope each time to your team, 
the better off you're going to be. Now, here's a simple, easy coaching framework any leader can use to develop coaching outcomes from their team. This is almost a silver bullet because I can number on the fingers of one hand the times when this framework has not worked. This is the best practical advice I've got for a leader that wants to coach. Five questions. Ready? Here we go. When someone says to you, comes to you and says, hey, I, I got a challenge. I got a challenge. Apply this framework. First question, what's working in the situation? Great. Great. And, and be sure to listen. You don't get to tell them what's working. They have to tell you. Second question, you can guess what's not working, right? So, okay. So, so now we've done a really good, now we've done a good job of, of isolating what's going on at the moment. Third question. What are you learning? And this one is really important because it makes it personal. Only the individual engaged in the situation can answer that question. What are you learning? Fourth question. What needs to change? And leaders who are serious about developing their their team keep their big gaps shut after asking that particular question. The longer you can be quiet after asking your team what needs to change, the better off you are. And then finally, this is a two-part question. What now and what next? Meaning, what are you going to do as soon as this conversation's over? That's what's now. What next means what's, what needs to happen between now and the next time you and I talk. So that's simple framework. Let me just give them to you one more time. What's working? What's not working? What are you learning? What needs to change? What now? What next? That management posture will change your team conversations. Beautiful. And I so appreciate you giving something that is concrete people can take away. So I want to now mention that you are speaking at the WBEC Summit. Mm -hmm. Can yeah. you tell our listeners in 30 seconds where to find you and what you'll talk about? Yes, the, the World Business and Executive Coaches Summit. You can find out all the details at wbecks.com, W-B-E-C-S.com. Global experts from uh, every continent, all with the idea that coaching develops talent, and that's a critical piece of leadership. So, Jonathan, where would people find your book? What's your book name, and what are you going to talk about at the summit? Uh, you can find my book on Amazon or at my website at jonathanwrites.com. The book is called Coaching Hacks, Simple Strategies to Make Every Conversation More Effective. There's more of what we talked about today in the book. It's about 150 pages. It's designed as a field guide, not designed to sit down and read cover to cover, but to pick up and put down for practical application. Now, in the summit, I'm going to be beginning a brand new coaching engagement with a new leader and looking at the ways we can use assessments to make that engagement more effective. And Jonathan, last thing, spell your name so people know how to find you at Jonathan Wrightstock. Uh, that's a great question. Jonathan is J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N and Wrights is R-E-I-T-Z. So jonathanwrights.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for sharing your wisdom. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. Please like us and share us on whatever podcast platform you listen to. And most of all, put some of the ideas that Jonathan shared into practice. Consider your mindsets, consider your behaviors, and consider the questions you're asking those people who work for you. And remember that leaders lead toward the vision. Thank you for joining us.